Hello there, I'm Claire Dale. I'm the founder and a director of Companies in Motion. I'm joined by Liz Clayton-Jones, an engagement and learning and development specialist, who until recently led the Research and Development University for a global FMCG company. We're going to talk about a programme called Physical Intelligence for Powerful Communication. I'm also joined by Pat Payton, fellow director at Companies in Motion and co-author of our book on physical intelligence. Over to you, Pat, to kick off the conversation today. Liz, our aim with this podcast is to share best practices from your perspective and also to consider how other organizations that are also carrying out business-critical in-house research and development can ensure that their research reaps results. These people are working hard and it's critical that they get their, their voices truly heard by management. So that will be the focus of our conversation with you today. Perfect. So Liz, what are some of the challenges that scientists and researchers face working in corporations today, do you think? I think they mainly center around communication, interestingly. Perhaps the name of the program then uh, points towards that. When I first started working with um, high-performing scientists and technologists around five years ago, uh, I did a lot of work with the leaders that they worked with, the functions that they interacted with, and also the scientists and technologists themselves to find out what they really wanted from a development program. And interestingly, they didn't want me to touch the science and technology. They were perfectly capable of doing that. The one thing that came back time and again was communicating with impact. There's also an element of the physical intelligence program uh, that enables them to cope more with some of the other challenges that are coming out uh, in corporations at the moment. And there's a shift towards a much shorter development time now with companies focusing more and more on consumer needs. Um, they've got hugely fast evolving trends. So there's less time for deep research and long consumer test periods. So the scientists also need to be really agile with project development to try new things quickly, which isn't always how they've practiced in the past. And then there's this challenge around communication. So when they do make a discovery, or a solution to an issue, they need to engage other functions around the business. They need to create buy-in quickly and galvanize the other teams behind their work so it can be put into action. And that's not always the first talent you think about when setting out on a scientific or technical career path. Yeah, and, yes. and increasingly, you know, I think there's also this piece around um, scarcity of resource. So if you think about finance, think about people, uh, big corporations are really um, working hard to be leaner. Uh, therefore, there's a reduction in resource. They're, some of them are struggling to grow, real organic growth. So there's a struggle for finance. And actually, with our ever-changing political environment, there's a challenge around funding externally as well. So this it also points to communication. You know, how can they make the biggest impact when they're asking for funding or resource in these constrained times? They need to make an impact with their messaging and in how they ask for that support. So I think that's interesting for, uh, for our listeners, because when you think about that R&D function, not everyone is aware 
that they are dealing with the same sorts of challenges that, uh, let's say, the sales team is also facing, right? We know from McKinsey Global Institute that the pace of change is three times that of the Industrial Revolution and 300 times the scale. And until we were working together, while we knew that that was impacting the sales team and uh, maybe even the technology team, certainly, you kind of think that the R&D team is left alone to do its best work at the pace that it knows it needs in order to conduct its research. But that's not exactly the case. And then, of course, the need to bring that message, make sure that they're heard, uh, and to deal with the, the, the cost cutting, the, that pinch, that funding pinch. So with that host of challenges in mind, uh, summarize for us, if you would, what led you to choose to work with physical intelligence for this particular community? Yeah, thank you for that. It's a great question, Pat. Um, I think I was lucky enough to have a very early experience of uh, Claire here in the UK uh, when I was actually working in a different role um, where I was given the opportunity to mentor a senior engineer who was struggling with their performance. And we actually met Claire through an open programme in London. And the transformation that happened for that person over two days blew me away, to be honest. I actually came on the course myself because that person had lost so much confidence in who they were and how they put themselves across that they didn't want to attend the course unaccompanied. So I experienced the, the programme for myself. And it really spoke to me in terms of its practicality and the fact that so much of the uh, that the, the knowledge and the exercises that were imparted through the program had a scientific backing. So when I had this opportunity to unlock impactful communication for this science environment, I immediately turned to Claire to understand how she could help scientists buy into the need to do this and the need to do it brilliantly. And in talking to Claire, understanding more about the physical intelligence side of your work, it just felt the right fit to be able to talk about a cocktail of hormones, to talk about the chemicals and the chemistry and the physiology of presence, and to be able to convey that and its impact on both the speaker and the receiver, the audience, uh, was just incredibly powerful. It gave a reason for scientists and technologists to buy into some of the perhaps challenging experiences that we're going to go through on a program. Mm. And, so, it, and it gave credibility yeah, uh, to, to what we were asking them to do versus, you know, stand this way or breathe this way or move this way because we tell you now it has a scientific foundation. Is yeah, that, yeah. Is that fair? If you think... Uh, I'm thinking about something very, very simple, the winner's pose. I remember somebody showing me that maybe 10 years ago in a training and the way they put it across and, and no disrespect, everyone has their own styles and it works for lots of different people. You know, it was stand, find, find a space and be a tree. Now with no disrespect, again, I think there are a lot of scientists who would look at you and go, you what? <laughs> because that's not in their psyche. Now, if you can help them explain that actually that space and that posture 
creates a chemical change in your body that grounds you and gives you power, all of a sudden it's like, oh, right. So I'm not being a tree. I'm actually doing something purposeful that creates presence. Mm. And I think that's for me where this is such a powerful program. Yes. And that, that, um, that open and expansive body posture is a, a real, uh, a real place to start uh, mm. with scientists and researchers because um, it's very often not comfortable for people with a more introverted profile typically to, yeah. to actually have all eyes on them. So, you know, the fact that when we open and expand our body, we are boosting our chemistry of confidence and that, that includes our testosterone levels, our DHEA levels yeah. and our serotonin levels, which is all about our self-esteem and the way that we value ourselves as we're looked upon by others yeah, yeah that helps to get cortisol levels down and and it's the first step for getting people up on their feet and uh, or yeah. around a table um explaining clearly what their idea is and what must happen with this crucial yeah. research and, and language like that is exactly why i knew that they would buy into this program it explains the why from a scientific perspective so that they can truly buy into what they're being asked to do. And there's a whole bunch of other chemistry there, which is so, it is great fun. Uh, I must say giving, uh, giving this kind of material to scientists because, um, you know, my background is in, is in the arts in originally as a movement specialist in the arts, as a, as an artistic director of a dance company, a choreographer, but my, my love at school was maths, biology and chemistry. There's a scientist um, here and my bedtime reading is all about uh, the, the, the latest research in what we're discovering about how our body influences our, our behavior and what the, the chemistry of that is. And so the framework of eight chemicals that we give, mm. we've given the scientists also explains why telling a story rather than um, giving bullet points as a matter of course, yeah. um, makes an incredible difference in both the oxytocin and dopamine levels yes. of the listener, yeah. which draws people to the desire to do something, take action in what you're saying because they feel part of it rather than feeling um, pushed up a hill by bullet points they are taken on a, a journey that they believe they're part of if we tell a story yeah. so explaining that yeah is, is and, and helping them understand why that's really important to the audience because I think traditionally um, and, and still today in certain uh, areas scientists gain their credibility and their their sense of identity through long research that goes into a white paper that's published with their name on it and very often the style of communication is in that same way if they've been invested in unlocking some scientific discovery for three years or more they want to tell you that whole story but very often the receiver hasn't got three hours to listen to the whole journey they just want the inspiration so there's part of the scientist's natural propensity to pull away from external communication and part of when they do get the chance, making that opportunity work for them mm. as opposed to being uh, you know, a three hour dissertation, which may work in some situations, but if you're working in a big corporation, particularly in something like fast moving consumer goods, where 
the uh, you know the shift to get products out to the customer and the consumer is really quick then they really haven't got time for that lengthy explanation mm. that's why we, we give clear quick structures um, yeah. to uh, these scientists and researchers so that they know what they're doing chemically they need to get the adrenaline levels of the audience up actually yeah. and get the yeah. interest and excitement there in those and first I think, moments yeah i think back to the very first time that you worked with the, the group of scientists that we had as our pilot um, there was one person one scientist who was quite convinced they would be unable to share their knowledge uh, in less than about three hour meeting and by the end of it, they had taken on the seven minute challenge and blew the audience away yeah. and was liberated as a result. And yeah. it's such a powerful methodology. Yeah. We have some stories, don't we, about how yes. individuals have managed to change the game for themselves, but also the, at organisational level, you know. Um, can we talk a bit about both yeah, of those sure. things? And I, I think the, we haven't had... In all the programs you've delivered for it, there has never been an instance where somebody hasn't seen a change. And uh, the program has been designed to involve the line manager of the person, no matter what seniority that person might be, so that there's an understanding of the, uh, the, the baseline, if you like. There's an understanding of where that person is at the beginning of their journey. So there's an invited audience at the end of the, the program and we try to encourage line managers to attend. Sometimes that's through Skype, but actually that's quite a good thing these days anyway, because there's so much virtual communication that we do. But we like to have that live audience and we like it to be uh, involving the line managers so they can see the difference and they can offer feedback to the person in their team in the moment so they can really see the difference. We have had some truly transformational results. There are several people successfully promoted as a direct uh, result. Previously, they'd had feedback about not being impactful in their uh, assessment panel. Um, actually, they didn't warrant going up a, a grade within their technical field because they couldn't explain their work to other people. They couldn't make those connections with other functions. And yet, they've attended the program and they've step changed their promotion. You know, we even had uh, one young lady who had an enormous amount of potential, uh, but a real fear of speaking in public, who as a direct result of the program jumped two whole pay grades mm -hmm. and was moved into a specialist role leading a team. Mm -hmm. Whereas before she'd been a junior technician because the program allowed her abilities to shine. And then the whole organization benefits from these abilities because they're now unleashed and able to shape a new team. Mm. So that was one example. Um, there have been others where people using the techniques have made a passion that they've had come to life for the business, which has step changed their thinking. Uh, I'm thinking of one particular example where somebody had a passion around innovation and wanted to bring experts in that field from outside the business to help shape the thinking. And that was something that hadn't been done in that area before. And by using these techniques, she was able to make a presentation to very senior leadership 
and they not only bought into the program but signed it off immediately and the person and their senior leader both attributed the success of that to the methods that she used in how she put her message across because the audience couldn't help but buy into what she was talking about mm. so those are a couple of examples mm. but everyone who goes through the program comes out different so liz you you just shared an example that's very interesting in that it speaks to an innovative idea that looked beyond the team working within the organization. So, and of course, research and development is all about innovation, but this is not necessarily innovation with regard to the product itself, but innovation with regard to the process that was followed. Yes. How, do you, you know, how do you see the future of training and development evolving for scientists and researchers? Oh, good question. Um, we've actually done quite a lot of work in that area, really on the back of successes like uh, the one with this program. And my personal view is that scientists and researchers are the starting point of our future, whether that's products and they're imagining new opportunities for new products or existing products, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it's work on the environment, or customer and consumer research, they really need to make an impact. They need to share their knowledge. And increasingly now they lead, need to lead highly collaborative teams, often without any natural authority, because they tend to be technical leaders rather than people leaders. So they may have to bring a multifunctional team together to create what they are driving. But traditionally, Scientists and technologists haven't been given people skills in terms of their natural development and training. And I think that has potentially stopped some of them reaching their full potential and sharing the impact of the work they do. So beyond their technical excellence, skills like powerful communication, influencing, uh, actually coach mentoring where they can share their knowledge with the next generation quickly while they're on the job so that mm. uh, they have successors coming through and new perspectives coming through from new people coming onto the team. Stakeholder engagement and fundamental aspects of how to manage and lead people, communicate with them, whether it's in a meeting or a one-to-one, -one, maybe it's a challenging conversation around a difference of opinion with a colleague or even with somebody outside the function. These skills are more critical than ever for them to make the biggest impact that they can have on the business. Now, Liz, what advice do you have for learning and development professionals to help them uh, obtain support internally, right? If there's not a line item in the budget for this already, what advice do you have for them that would help them deliver the right messages to the people who are determining what their budget is and how it should be spent to increase receptivity to this? Research shows that learning and development tends to be one of the first things that's uh, cut back on when there is an issue with funding uh, within an organization. Uh, and it casts my mind back to a quote, and I don't know who actually said it originally, uh, but it's definitely not mine. Uh, and it's, um, there's only one thing more expensive than training your people, and that's not training them. Exactly. And 
so so I think it's it can be very short-sighted not to invest in 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 these people so in 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 answer to your question about how do you make the argument for it uh, I think it is finding the case studies finding the the proof that's been out there that says what a difference this can make or any training if it's rooted in evidence that what it can make to the longer term performance for a business because if the skills of a scientist or a researcher are kept within themselves then the world won't develop the way it needs to develop and products won't develop the way they need to develop and if you think about everything that's being talked about in the world at the moment everything goes back to really good science and if those scientists can't share those messages then the world won't achieve what its potential is can we think more broadly now about what a physically intelligent future might look like how about a physically intelligent organization so what does it mean to you a physically intelligent organization what what an exciting concept um so i think if you look at physical intelligence um, and all the work that you've put into the book what it all points towards is allowing every individual to perform to the best of their ability, whether that's through breath or posture, uh, whether that's through um, resilience or endurance. And if you think about having an organization where everybody can perform to their best physically, then it's got to have an impact on the overall uh, shape of the organization and its prospects for the future. I don't know if you, if you, looked at the four elements of physical intelligence. So strength, people need to be individually strong, but organizations need to be strong and stable too. Um, Particularly when so much in the world is changing and there's so much ambiguity, there's a lot of research that says that whilst we of course need to be adaptable to change, most people who follow leaders need to start with a sense of stability. Now, it's unlikely that they're going to get that from the world of work in many instances, but they do need to get it from their leaders. Their leaders need to be stable and grounded and consistent. And that gives them the faith in their leader to follow them. You know, when leaders are unclear, people aren't really sure whether they can follow that person willingly or not. Um, If you then looked at um, adaptability, flexibility, then that ability to move your processes, move your practices and move yourself in new areas quickly, whether that's suddenly sensing an audience shift change and adapting to that or whether it's moving with all of the changing times in an organization, you know, that flexibility, knowing how to be in that and and work with it uh, is going to be incredibly important. Um, Resilience, that probably doesn't need any explanation in this current climate. Uh, Most people would benefit from finding deeper uh, wells of resilience uh, in the things that uh, life throws at us so that we can bring our best selves both to life and to work uh, and therefore that's bound to benefit an organisation. Uh, And then endurance, you know, we've got uh, an ever-changing world and businesses aren't planning on 
uh, not being around to see that. So being able to set goals both individually and as an organization for the future, work towards those goals and, and play the long game, ride with all of the ups and the downs and, and set your mind on that one thing that you're going to do and, and learn how to uh, manage both yourself and your whole organization of employees through that to play that long game. Um, I think that sounds pretty good to me. I can't imagine an organization embracing that and not finding that that success grew. And for us, I mean, in our big picture thinking around a physically intelligent organization, we, we're looking overall to, to balance two critical systems over and above cortisol and testosterone and adrenaline and the management of the threat response. That the next level of importance up for, from that is two systems. One is the dopaminergic system. Yeah. Progress, technology, pace. But it, we're out of balance with the oxytocinergic system, the one that enables us to see the world from multiple perspectives and be able to create value for uh, everybody in the, the chain of work, as well as the, the shareholders. Um, we need to be thinking more that way. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess for us, uh, although a lot of training and development is becoming bite-sized and online, you know, you, you've taken a radical step to make a, you know, a longer than average program um, at that level. Well, I, I think it, for me, it was very important that there are some things that it's just not easy to teach online. You can watch a video, but it's not the same as someone helping you when so much communication is still done person to person, whether that's in person or whether it's over technology, you still need to feel like you're really in the moment with that person. Mm. And there's nothing like getting raw practice to start with. Mm. And I think the proof for me in terms of how the business has viewed this is when training budgets were really constrained at the beginning of 2019. This programme had been booked in and scheduled for eight technologists and the funding was potentially at risk. But because of the proof of this programme, the regional functional president of R&D said, no, this programme goes ahead and made a point of coming to the final presentations to show his support because of his belief mm. in the transformation that those three days gave. So there's never actually from the very first examples been an argument as to why it's three days. And what also I think is important to understand is this was a bespoke program. So the open program, of course, has to, has to be relevant for everyone. Once you gave us the opportunity to work exclusively with this audience, we could tailor, we could customize, build a program specifically for this audience based on what their unique challenges were. And of course, that's our approach whenever we are, uh, are asked to come inside an organization. And then while the open program would have been relevant, this was that much more relevant. So it's, it's had a wonderful impact and we're, we're thrilled with the, uh, the support internally, and of course, the, the change at an individual and an organizational level. So thank you again, Liz. Oh, it's, it, it really has been a pleasure to work with you. And, uh, and uh, you know, we've been talking about a three-day program, 
uh, and the fact that it was bespoke. Well, after the first couple, we went, moved it from two and a half days to three, well, didn't that's right. we? We started it mm-hmm. so, yeah, so So actually made it longer rather than shorter because we could see the tangible impacts, a little bit of extra time on some of the aspects would have. So, um, uh, and, and the proof is the program's continuing and it's looking to be a formal part of technical development within that FMCG business. That's really encouraging, isn't it? And of course, as, as we go into an artificial, a world of artificial intelligence, there are going to be uh, an incredible number of analytical, highly analytical people looking at data. And yeah. we need to train them and take care of that, that move towards data analysis across um, all technical functions, not only research and development. Yeah. And interestingly, there's an awful lot of future of work thinkers out there who have analysed all of the things that artificial intelligence can do for us and actually communicating with our fellow human beings isn't yet one of them. (laughs) Not to create that real uh, connection, that human connection that enables people to take that data and do something with it. Well, Liz, it's been really lovely talking to you about this. Now, I, I believe you've launched a new venture called Beehive Performance. Just tell us a bit about what you're doing these oh, days. Oh, well, thank you for, for giving that opportunity. So I suppose like you, but in a very different way, I'm helping people to perform as their best selves uh, so that they can bring, um, bring that to work every day. Um, and with a core focus on STEM functions, in fact, in fact, so science, technology, engineering, finance, and, and in particular, food science and technology, because that's where, where my heart is, if you like. Um, I uh, develop with business, you know, through my business, Beehive Performance, we develop strengths-based, highly engaged collaborative teams. And that enables them to harness each of their unique gifts to come together to do their best work together. Uh, and you, you said something uh, a little while back around the importance in, in particularly in the future of organizations and people being able to see a multitude of different perspectives and viewpoints. And we are all unique. And you know, traditional organizations have, have often tried to create well-rounded people through competency programs where everybody needs to be a little bit good at everything. What I'm interested in doing is having people understand that they are unique They have real gifts that they have hardwired within them and they can bring those different perspectives. So it's like diversity and inclusion, but from a diversity of thought perspective, Mm. how to uncover that, get people to embrace that for themselves, see and enjoy the difference in others, listen, work together, collaborate and create something amazing. Thank you again, Liz. What What a pleasure to have you here with us. Uh, you're very welcome. It's been a, been a joy to have a conversation with you both.